dating can be interesting just because one, there's the language and there's the cultural distinctions. One is the language. For for instance, for me, dating in Spanish is not necessarily difficult because my Spanish is fairly good. But yet many of the, the nuances to who I am are all in English, if that makes sense. I always feel like if I'm dating someone in the Spanish language, do they really get to know like the authentic, complete me? Because I feel like there's still, even though my Spanish is fairly good, there's still a part of me that is, I almost feel like boxed within the English language, if that makes sense. And then there are various cultural issues. When I think about the whole idea of masculinity and chivalry, particularly in Africa and South and Central America, men can be very, very chivalrous in ways that I never really experienced in the United States of America. Hey everyone, welcome back to Flourish in the Foreign, the podcast that elevates and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving and just generally doing the damn thing abroad, while also exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm talking about financial wellness, mental, physical, spiritual, professional all of the wellnesses. And this podcast aims to not only inspire you and let you know that we are out here doing it, but also really give you some tips, some anecdotes, some real life tools for you to go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. I am your host, Christine Job, and I am an American expat currently living in Barcelona. I am not only a podcaster, but I'm also a business strategist that helps Black women and women of color leverage their skills, their talents into viable and sustainable online businesses so that they can pursue thriving lives abroad that leaves them professionally fulfilled and, you know, financially abundant in whatever ways that means for them. So welcome to the podcast if you're new. Hey, and if you are returning, hi, how have you been? Thank you so much for coming back. I appreciate you. And this year is going to be super dope. I just want to tell you guys that right now, I am so hyped for 2021 and flourish in the foreign the stories that i have on deck which i've been telling y'all since 2020 i know but are so good and i've been listening to them and i'm just so excited to get them out to you and i would love to just release like 20 episodes which i have planned out all one day because you guys would freak you guys would be overwhelmed with the amazingness but that's just not possible so there we go but just Tune in because a lot of cool things are happening in this space. I first want to shout out to Cynthia and Monique, who were the winners of Clubhouse invitations. They both answered the call and they were rewarded for that. Okay. Cynthia has been a Patreon of Flourish in the Foreign, and I deeply appreciate that. She gave me some feedback via survey, and she entered to win a Clubhouse invite, and she got it. So congratulations. And Monique, who is a part of the email list, also filled out a survey to let me know 
you know, what was her thoughts on Flourish in the Foreign? And she was randomly chosen as the second Clubhouse Invitation winner. So let that be a lesson to all of y'all. Y'all should be on my email list. Get plugged in because I'm actually going to be doing more giveaways. And like I said before, I'm going to tell the email list and the Patreons before I tell anybody else. So, you know. Y'all know what to do. Thank you to everyone who filled out a survey. If you haven't filled out a survey, you could still do that. And I would really appreciate it if you did that. So go ahead, do that. I really like the feedback that I got. It is always really helpful for me so I can give you guys what you want. And I was really pleasantly surprised because a lot of the things you guys said that you won't, I already have planned. So yeah. I'm excited. I can't wait for you guys to hear it and experience it and for you guys to give me feedback on that. Also, if you're not following the podcast on Instagram, you need to go ahead and do that. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Flourish Foreign. I have a pretty expansive, I think, a library of IGTVs. So you can go to the grid, but if you go to the IGTV tab, I've talked to, I want to say like eight, 10, maybe I have 10 IG lives up there talking to, I mean, some of our podcast guests, me doing solo, everyone on IG always has really great questions. We always get down deep. We have really interesting conversations. So if you're just now discovering Flourish in the Foreign, welcome. Even if you've been here for a while, but you weren't like plugged into the IG, I know some people are like, I'm not an IG person, but you can actually watch the IG TVs on your laptop or on your desktop too. Another thing I want to bring your attention to is that Flourish the Foreign has a YouTube channel and the YouTube channel is really starting to gear up because I actually have a lot of content coming out this week, actually. So you definitely want to make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. And and in particular, this Thursday, I'm dropping an interview with Aquania Escarnay, who is a fellow podcaster. Her podcast is called The Purpose of Money Podcast. And she is a three-time expat. She's a diplomat who's currently stateside, but she has served in Haiti, Ecuador, and the UAE as a diplomat for the United States. And we had just a fascinating conversation about money, right? I'm going to have her on the podcast, but this YouTube video is all about money. And because she's a financial coach and she really broke down how she managed her finances as a single woman abroad, a married woman abroad, and with a family abroad. And just some things that we need to think about when we're not only trying to manage our finances, but also if you have a goal to build wealth abroad and what that actually means, building intergenerational wealth as well. She is a, I mean, a badass. She knows what she's talking about. She's a recent hotel investor. She is on it and... Whenever she's speaking, I'm like, let me take some notes because she knows what is up. So our YouTube video is going live on Thursday and we are actually co-hosting a clubhouse chat on Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I believe. Be sure to check back with my IG because I will be advertising it there at Flourish Foreign. And so if you're on Clubhouse, make sure that you stop in and have a conversation with us. We're going to be chatting about 
moving abroad, finances abroad, like all the things. So in response to some of the DMs I've gotten in Instagram and Facebook, and I recently did a clubhouse chat, I have a lot of people who want to talk more about my personal story, talk more about what I do and how I help people go abroad and my experience and my thoughts on how to take your skills and go abroad. And I'm like, cool, but I can't talk to you guys all individually, right? But what I can do is I can have a little like mini webinar or something, like a chat. And so I'm having that and it's going to be this Saturday. It's going to be this Saturday. And the only way for you to sign up for this chat is to go to the website and also make sure you're on the email list because if you are interested in chatting with me about going abroad and what that looks like and how it works, this is your opportunity. So I will be talking about my experience moving to Spain, living here in Barcelona. I'll be talking about leveraging my skills. Some of you guys know I have a business degree and I also have a law degree and I've worked in for myself and how I kind of landed boots on the ground, networked, and then flipped it into my life now. And also, I can really bring in a lot of insights from a lot of the ladies I've interviewed. I mean, I've interviewed well over 50 women. I know I don't even have 50 episodes, but I have interviewed well over 50 women. So I have a lot of things I can share. Also, talk to you guys about if you're interested in my course that is launching next week. It's a five-week course, Flourish in the Foreign International Living Made Possible. And if you're wanting to know, you know, everybody has a course, Christine. What makes your course different? Tune into the webinar and I'll let you know. So that is happening Or if you are interested and you're like, Christine, you say you're a business strategist, you've worked in this field for nine years, you have clients all around the world, which I do. I've had clients in Bangladesh, I've had clients in the UAE, in the United States, here in Spain, and you're like, what, how do you get clients? (laughs) Maybe Maybe you want to know that. Or maybe you're like, You know, I've heard about your 12-week sprint. It sounds intense. It is. I want to learn more about exactly what is the nitty-gritty. Like, what is the kind of transformation you are making these people's lives, Christine? And I will tell you all about it. It's going to be one hour. And for all the details, you'll definitely want to go to the website. You want to go to the link in the social media bio. Or if you're on the email list, you've already been emailed about it. Oh my goodness, that was so much. But let's talk about how you can support this here podcast briefly. So Flourish in the Foreign is a labor of love, but labor nonetheless. And that is why I ask you to please support this here podcast. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron of the podcast at www.patreon.com slash flourish foreign. You can cash out the podcast, which is basically like a tip jar at dollar sign flourish foreign. You can place an ad with the podcast. If you have a business or service that is in alignment with the podcast and you're like, hey, I want people to hear about me 
come on down. You can go to www.flourishintheforeign.com slash contact and we can chat. And if you want to contribute to the upgrade of equipment for the podcast, you can do so via the Amazon wish list, which you can find links to on the support page for the podcast, www.flourishintheforeign.com slash support. All right. I've given you so much information today because I love you and I care about you. So there's that. On to the next episode. So this episode is all about dating abroad. Yes, it is one of the questions that I'm asked all the time. And it's always brought up in living abroad forums in some kind of way. People want to know what's it like dating abroad. And that's what they want to know. And it's important because part of your holistic wellness is obviously partnering. If that's important to you, if that's part of your life visioning, it's important. And that's why I did this episode. So this episode is a compilation of... 14 of my past guests who answered the question, what's it like dating abroad wherever you are? And they didn't hold back. So first up, we have Nubia of the Chronicles Abroad podcast and all the other amazing things that she does. And although she is currently based in Tulum, Mexico, she is ordinarily kind of pre-COVID life, a digital nomad. And so I asked her, what it has been like dating around the world? I think it was a little bit more difficult for me because now I'm in my 40s. My generation, the Generation X community, we're out there, but a lot of us who are traveling are either traveling with our families or traveling with our mates or just on different trajectories in our lives. It's the Generation Y and Z who just leave university and they're just globetrotting the world and they're partying and they're having fun and they're able to find this love and connection abroad. I just haven't found that. Also, not only am I African-American woman over 40, I'm an African-American woman who's a lesbian in over 40. There was all of these things that I won't call them roadblocks, but I just would say that it was just a little bit more difficult for me to find that community or and I don't typically I haven't I haven't had relationships outside of my race it wasn't that I was seeking other ethnicities either but I would have been more apt to date somebody else had I dated men and had I dated somebody who was of a different race. Nubia identifies as a lesbian woman and I wanted to know how that has affected her travel decisions and how she is treated abroad. The thing about that is being a, a, a woman who loves women it has nothing to do with me going to a country and understanding their cultural norms, like I stated. I'm not going to go into Dubai and try to hold someone's hand that is of the same sex. I'm just not going to do it. I don't care how much you want to say you love me because that's disrespectful and it can get us killed. Do you understand what I mean? You have to understand the countries you're going to, period. It's not necessarily accepted that much in the States, depending on what state you're in. At the end of the day, I just am a woman first. Then I'm a Black woman. Then I'm a lesbian woman. 
Does that make sense? I just, when I walk into a room, I don't have the gay flag across my face or tattooed on my forehead. I don't do that. And on top of that, I am not masculine identified. It doesn't show outwardly as if some women who might be more masculine of center and wear masculine clothing. To that extent, yes, you have to be mindful and careful of where you go. For instance, I would just say the UAE or the Middle East in general, you could be arrested for what they call gender impersonation. A woman wearing male's clothing is not received well there. Now, as a tourist, you have a little bit more leeway because you're putting money into the economy, but it's when you're living there or you're outside of like the tourist places. Even as a straight woman, you can't go to the Middle East with your boyfriend, let's say. You're not married. You go to a hotel and there's only one bed. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That is a no-go. That can get you locked up. Premarital sex in a country that doesn't believe in it, that's against the law. And a hotel may or may not call the police on you. Or they may or may not reject that room and say that you need two separate beds or two separate rooms. There's all these things. People need to understand that with travel comes educating yourself. You have to educate yourself. Don't just go somewhere blindly because you're looking at somebody's IG pictures and think like, oh, I'm just going to go there because it's beautiful. Understand where you're walking into. Understand the culture of that country. Understand that sometimes... Some of these IG pics are totally disrespectful to that country, depending. Thailand's good for stopping you at the airport. Thailand is good for stopping you at the airport. China monitors all the social media that goes in and out of that country. You have to be careful. We all know about the guy who went to North Korea and stole the propaganda, got arrested, and they shipped his ass back to the U.S. and he died immediately. Things like that is real life. They don't play. You can't go to a country and disrespect their cultural norms, period. I don't care whether you think it's right or you think it's wrong. Next, we have Rachel, who is here in Barcelona. She is from Jamaica, and she came to Barcelona to pursue her PhD, which she already earned. So I guess I should say Dr. Rachel. Yes, Dr. Rachel. And so I asked her what has been her experience dating here in Barcelona. See, my dating life is kind of complicated because I think through undergrad, well, high school, boarding school, undergrad, law school, and then starting here, I was always in a relationship. So I never really did the dating thing. Oof, dating in Barcelona. I think it's tough, especially if you want to be with a black man. As a black woman, like if you want to be with a black man or have a black spouse. It's tough because there aren't any options, really. What I've seen with my really good friends, or like my sisters, they found their guys, you know, beautiful black love couples, on the Tinder. And what I think, based on everybody else's experiences on the Tinder, I personally think that my two sisters probably found the only two good ones on the entire app. I'm a little bit scared to try anything like that. So I I wouldn't have done it, but they have done it and they were successful. So I guess it's possible. I just don't know if it's probable because everybody else has told me there's nothing out there. 
And you can see that on the streets. There just aren't many black men available. And the black men that are there are with white women. But right now, I'm not really looking. I think this would not be a good place to look, though, <laughs> if I were. <laughs> not a good place. <laughs> you guys been listening to the podcast for a while you know that i had valerie on the show pretty early on and valerie is from california but is living in australia and she came to australia as a professional basketball player and now she is just like a multi-passionate entrepreneur doing so many great things and so i asked her about her experience dating in Australia. <laughs> well, I'm married to a white Australian man. I I guess I've been pretty blessed in that way that I was able to find a husband here. But dating life in Australia was challenging because the pickings are slim. But I talked to my little sister in, in California. She says the same thing right now. So I guess it's not really that different. But in my experience, I felt like when I would date, they would put emphasis on my race. <laughs> Oh, never talked to a black girl before. There's no African-American men here. So your options are, you know, Australians, which are predominantly white Australians, like African men, which is still a very small percentage. And then you have an even smaller percentage of Sri Lankan, Asian, and also Aboriginal men. So the main ones that would approach me were white Australian men. And it was always... The thing of me being black was something that I don't think they were necessarily always comfortable with because interracial dating here is not that common. You rarely see it, and if you do see it, it's typically an Asian woman and a white man. So similar to San Francisco. (laughs) I almost felt like, oh, I'm not going to find anyone here. And I started online dating. It was horrible in the beginning. (laughs) And I remember this point, I was like, you know what? I'm done feeling this need to be with someone. Because I feel like that is the real issue at hand. This desire and this pressure to find someone at a certain age and have children and all these things. I felt that pressure from growing up and those expectations from society and definitely from my parents. I felt like I was dating from this space of neediness. I feel like they could sense that so they weren't really drawn to me i remember the day where i was like i'm done and i deleted the app i was like i'm just going to enjoy my life in the way that it is and i'm just going to enjoy being single as soon as i did that i met my husband it's just so funny how things come to you when you let them go that's one thing i would just if anyone is keen to move here and they're single and they're open to dating just be yourself and don't even really go looking for it because it all it will always come to you when it's meant to. Next, we have a Carla and she has been abroad for I believe the past 10 years in seven different countries in higher ed and she just has a fantastic episode so if you haven't heard it be sure to listen to it. And I asked her about her experience dating all around the world. My philosophy on dating is I date who likes me. And I know that is very broad. That means I date outside my race. If folks really want to know the the blatant truth. (laughs) Um, I date who likes me. And I look at it as a date. These are opportunities to meet potential suitors. But... 
I have not made that a huge focus. Now, I will say that in the past almost eight years that I have been living out consecutively, I did get married and divorced while I've been abroad. And no, I did not marry a U.S. citizen. I did marry someone off my race. And it didn't work for a variety of reasons. But that has not discouraged me from continuing to date. I took some time to heal from my divorce. And I am now back at the place where I'm open and willing to date and willing to potentially look at um, long-term relationship that may lead to another marriage. I go out and enjoy myself. I do a lot of things solo, whether that's going to the movies, five-star restaurants, traveling. I may have a date while I'm on a vacation in the country and it may not work. And I was like, okay, great. It was lovely meeting you and having dinner with you. Next, we have Jamila, and Jamila is based in Buenos Aires, and if you remember her episode, she actually landed in Buenos Aires via tango, the dance, and I mean, her story of how she even got into tango is like a movie, so if you haven't heard that episode, highly recommend you to check that one out as well, and so I had to ask her, what was it like dating in the tango capital of the world no dating that's fun i feel like the men here are interesting there is a word they use like hysterical hysterical which kind of i think accurately represents all of the dating culture in buenos aires or in argentina and it's this kind of game I think that everybody has agreed to play where there's just a lot of unnecessary drama in relationships. I do think the men as compared to the United States are more in touch with their feelings for better or worse. You hear about them there and their feelings a lot and how they feel about everything. And so I just feel like there's like a lot of this kind of drama that's going back and forth that you kind of have to engage in. I think it's just a cultural kind of game that you play in dating. I think as a Black woman, there is the shadow of how Black women are represented on TV or in music culture that you do have to pay attention to, especially when you're, you know, first meeting people. I definitely have met some wonderful men here um, and that I've had great relationships with, but definitely run into guys that it felt like they were just wanting to see to try it out because they had only seen it on tv or wherever they were watching maybe on their computers trying to discern that when you're first meeting someone if you're interested in them and how you feel about that personally I realize that i am different that i am unique that i do stand out that technically could classify me as exotic in this culture and so There's going to be some of that, but then I think I also am mindful of not wanting to be fetishized either. I think there's a balance to that. I always feel like I'm kind of always playing here. I think it's 
gotten better as been here longer as my Spanish gets better my ability to kind of weed that out from the beginning next we have Halana and she really shared her story of how International Development Peace Corps landed her really doing a lot of work on the continent of Africa and how she really got physical and mental and emotional healing by moving to Asia and I wanted to know about her experience dating abroad and her experience dating abroad actually became dating and marrying abroad as well. I dated one guy who actually became my husband. I probably met him maybe six months into my being in my village. He wasn't from my village. He was from the town, maybe 30, 40 minutes or so outside of my village. And I dated him. And we wound up falling in love with each other and we, we got married. And so it was interesting. He was always really fascinated by other Black people and the experience of Black people in America. We're not together anymore. We wound up getting a divorce probably eight years after we got married. But I appreciate the fact that I met him because I was able to learn more about his culture than if I had to just sort of figure it out on my own. So he sort of became like a, a cultural translator for me, if you will, during the two years that I was there in the country. I learned a lot about politics. I learned about the complication of religion, of being a Muslim, but also being able to follow certain traditional aspects of African religion as well. There's just learning how people interact with, with, with each other between tribes. Yeah, it was, it was very, very interesting. And his father um, had four wives and probably others. <laughs> but there were four main wives. And so this was my first time learning about what it's like to be in a family of people with multiple wives. So it was just a period of, of a lot of firsts, of a lot of expanding my mind on what what is right? What does it mean to, to, to be, to live right or to live according to your culture? And trying to explain that to both sides of our families was very, very interesting. I asked Halana to really talk more about the differences in dating culture that she noticed between Togo and the United States. I felt like well, and this is also my perspective from 20 years ago. So I want to my perspective now as a 42-year-old woman, it was very difficult, different from what it was when I was 22. But when I was dating a Togolese man, I felt like he was a lot more attentive than probably what I was used to in, in the States. He seemed very interested in who I was, you know, which kind of seems basic. But, <laughs> but even today, a lot of American men, they're... They're just not, I don't feel like they're very interested in who you are and, and you know, what it is that you'd like to do. But they're, they're very good at the, the chase of running, you know, the, the chase. They like the, the chase of, of you saying, I, I'm, you know, I'm not interested, you know, no thank you. It's, it's almost like they take that as, as a challenge. When you say no, respectfully, they'll keep, they'll keep coming back just so that you'll know that they're serious about being interested in you as a romantic partner. And so, you know, they kind of jump through hoops to sort of get your, your interest. So 
whatever they need to do, whatever they need to spend. And, you know, not that he came from a very rich family because he didn't, but, you know, whatever means he had at the time, he was willing to invest it to, to get my attention, which was really nice. All right, next we have Kefra, and Kefra is New Orleans, Atlanta, all up in Madrid. And she is an auxiliar de conversación in Madrid and also a writer and a comedian. And I asked her all about her experience dating in Madrid. And as a bit of a warning in case you're around children or you have sensitive ears this next section does contain explicit language well i mean girl the woes are here too (laughs) let me tell you that up front live and in living color yeah they ain't shit here either girl now before you hashtag not all spaniards me i'm sure there are good ones some of my friends have gotten married had children and everything i seem to be finding the duds and I, I'm a tough bitch to date, to be quite honest. I don't take a lot of shit. I'm a 40-year-old woman. Patience has never been a virtue that I hold, and it's even less here. Because you are fetishized a lot as a black woman. And people are, men especially, because I'm bisexual, but men that I've encountered, they start by invoking your skin color. I get these intros like, hola bonbon de chocolate. Uh, Another guy said, oh, a black beauty. And I'm like, the horse? Like, son, you've already lost. What are you doing? Spanish guys, they feel the need to tell you. Like, and they say the wording is very specific. I've never tried a black girl before. Or I've never been with a black woman before. And I'm just, that's nice. I have. I don't know where you're going with this. That always messes them up when I'm like, well, I have. So I wasn't curious if you've been with a black woman or not, Pedro. You can you can let that slide. I have no idea. But they, they say things like that, like you're supposed to be, oh, well, let me be your first. Nah, son, <laughs> that's not going to happen. I wasn't wondering, actually. Some black women here in Europe are trafficked from other places. So... Some people seem confused with the fact that you are a black woman here on your own. You chose to come here. You're traveling. You're American and not a prostitute. I've been approached standing outside the metro in my most non-prostitutish wear. Like, you know, literal jeans and a t-shirt, afro in full effect. And this dude comes up and asks me if I want to take a walk with him. And I'm like, I'm waiting for my mother. And he said, tu madre, surprise. I'm like, yeah, dude, I have a mother. She'll be here any minute. What do you want? He's like, oh, well, you're very pretty. And I'm like, I know what you want, though. Said, well, let's take a walk. And I was like, do you, and this dude that has to be 70 something. He was just, you want to take a walk with me? And I was like, I'll take a walk with your grandson. Goddamn, I'm 40, but I don't need to be trolling the nursing homes yet. Do I, son? Jesus. But you literally will be existing while black and and people approach you in the most sideways-ass manners. I gave up on dating. I, I, I cut it all. Tinder, everything. Well, I was into someone that, that I had been seeing and talking to for a while and I got ghosted and that really hurt. But people will just insult you here. A lot of people seem to be very superficial on these apps. 
And my boundaries are very clear. Even on my profile, I say, I don't want to talk to you about sex. I am not looking for a friends with benefits situation. And I'm not going to give you free English classes. Dudes do this thing where they swipe right a hundred times and then just see whatever pops up. I matched up with one guy and he sent me a message that said, and this is a quote, very, very, very ugly. And another guy sent me a message in Spanish that basically says, what a fucking dog. And so I sent him a troll face, <laughs> that image of the troll face laugh meme. And then I, I screenshot it and put it on my Instagram and my Facebook. I made it public and said, if you know this motherfucker, tag him and send it to his mother. I would get stuff like that a lot or people who immediately, oh, it says on your profile, you don't want to talk about sex. Why? Don't you like sex? Like I'm frigid or something because I don't want to talk sex. Because I want to know that you actually have a brain in your head as opposed to know that you're capable of grinding your genitals against another person. God forbid you use your brain. It's really such a turnoff to me to discuss sex with someone who is not my partner, really. I'm not opposed to it, but I'm not going to just jump into it right off the bat. I don't even fucking know you. And they expect that when I'd say, oh, well, maybe we could meet and have a glass of wine or something. And they would be like, is that all? Are we just going to have a drink or are we going to have a good time? They want guaranteed ass before even leaving the house. And I am not about that life. That does not work for me. That is not what I want. And if you could read, this is clearly stated on my profile. And when I said that to someone, he said, like, Deja de de tonterias, which basically means stop talking stupid. And I just decided this is not good for my mental health. It's truly not. This is not good for me. Do I want to keep opening myself up to abuse from absolute strangers? No, I'm not the best looking one out there. I am aware. I got more rolls than Pillsbury at times. I know this. These are things I am open and honest with and have written articles about. But just because I'm a big girl and just because I'm not quote unquote pretty doesn't mean that I'll take any dick that comes at me. It doesn't mean I should be grateful that you even spoke to me. And it doesn't mean that you get to abuse me. Absolutely not. I will not stand for it. And when you put boundaries down and when you let people know that you won't take their shit, they get angry, they get offended, and in their feelings. And I'm just not here for it. Fuck their feelings. I have them too. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign, and if you are, please be sure to take a screenshot, tag Flourish Foreign, and share it across your social media networks. It's really important to share these stories. Since you are enjoying this episode, be sure to support this podcast by becoming a Patreon supporter at www.patreon.com slash flourishborn, tipping the podcast via cash app at dollar sign flourishborn, or purchasing an item off of the podcast Amazon wishlist, which you can find at www.flourishintheforeign.com slash support. All right, on to the rest of the show. (music) 
Next, we have Adma, and Adma is so lovely. I really enjoyed her episode. And in her episode, she talks about moving from London to Toronto. And we had such a key key talking about dating abroad. So I'll let her tell you all about it. Being a black woman dating here, I I do definitely see um, a difference in the way black women are able to navigate the dating world in North America as compared to in London. I think here I see a lot more interracial dating, particularly black men not dating black women. And I think that surprised me because I don't see that as much in the UK. Obviously, it's still there, but I see it as very prominent here. So I'd actually say that's probably been probably been my most difficult um, element of moving here is that I guess I had a an idealistic vision that I'm going to move here and meet my husband but it's actually been a lot more difficult than that because I will unapologetically say that I am a very big supporter of black love I'm looking for a black husband I want my kids to be fully 100% black and finding Black men who date strong black women here has definitely been an eye-opener, I'd say, and a a work in progress. It could be because of the circles that I hang out in. I'm very much a Northwest London girl where it's very predominantly black. So maybe I've just not been exposed to interracial dating as much. But here it is very, very prominent. It's more prominent than I would see in the UK, definitely. Adma and I really got into this conversation. I did wonder if a certain extremely famous Toronto rapper who is undeniably successful and undeniably a bop maker, but arguably quite corny for at least women who've had some experiences, who've seen some things. And I wondered if that was indicative of the dating experience in Toronto. I mean, y'all don't come for me. Or do. I said what I said. So you see exactly what you just said about corny. That is exactly what it is. And I think maybe if you spoke to a Canadian woman, they'll be like, what are you talking about? Like, we got swag. Your men don't have swag. They've got Drake swag. But to us, it's corny. And one of the things that we always get slated as, as British, but we say they haven't got any sauce. And what we mean by that is maybe the the forwardness and the confidence that we see in British men, I don't see it here. One of the biggest pet peeves I have about Canadian men, and I'm going to put this as a public service announcement, the men here are very used to being chased down. They don't do the chasing here. They are very much a, let me sit back and see what you've got. What are you bringing to me? Why should I pick you? Whereas The swag I see from British boys is if I like this person, this woman, I'm going to go get her because I can't let her go. I see that drive. Whereas this laid back attitude that they have of I don't need to put in any work. You need to put in the work for me. I cannot deal. And it's something that I don't know if I'll ever be able to wrap my head around because it's so different to what I'm used to. As in, I'll give you a really good example. I joined Hinge, which is this online dating site. And in my first week here, I matched with this guy and I was like, great, maybe I am going to find my guy here. So we were talking for a few days 
And then he said, oh, do you want to meet up on Friday? I said, fantastic. I, I found a good one. So then it got to maybe Wednesday and he said, so what are we doing on Friday? I said, yeah, I'm cool. Like you said you wanted to meet me, so let's do it. He said, okay, so when are you going to book the restaurant and let me know what time to meet you? I said, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? So you've asked me on a date and now two days before you just thought I was making all the plans and you were just going to show up. Again, that might be what some people are used to, but in the world I come from, If a man has asked me on a date, I would like to think that he was taking me out, no? And I'm not used to that waiting for the woman to make all the moves and you just wait and see. And someone explained it to me in Toronto that there are more eligible women than men, if that makes sense. There are more good, in inverted commas, women. So when you meet a good, in inverted commas, man, they know that they, there is one man to 20 women. So in his mind, you need to work for me. I can pick between this bunch of you and you haven't got many options. So what are you going to do to be the one? Whereas I'm not in competition with anybody, you know, I will put my best foot forward, but I also expect you to put your best foot forward. So when we say you haven't got any source, If I'm having to text you all the time or I'm having to call the restaurant to make a reservation or I'm having to say good morning to you before you think to text me, do you know what's not going to (laughs) happen? You're not going to hear from me because that's not how I move. That's not how I want to be treated. And I don't think this is only my experience. Speaking to other friends I've met that have moved here, that is their one complaint about finding a man in this city is that they are just too laid back. All right, we now have Frances, the other host of the Chronicles Abroad podcast, and also she does so many other wonderful things as well. If you haven't checked out her episode, what are you doing? Because her episode really, really talked a lot about mental wellness while abroad, which is so, so crucial. And so I asked Frances about her experience dating abroad I, I identify as a queer woman so I mean finding another queer community is very difficult abroad there are some pockets like Thailand is very queer friendly so you you'll find um, a lot of people in, you know along the rainbow spectrum there and it's one of those things that maybe people don't talk about but people quote-unquote tolerate it and I don't like using that word but you can be gay in Thailand essentially. Right. But that was something I had to think about because I was getting older and being somebody who travels often, it doesn't lend itself to having stable relationships. Uh, And I remember meeting somebody before I went to Japan, but then not being able to continue because I mean, she had no plans of moving abroad or anything like that. So you really have to find somebody who has the same kind of passion for travel as you. You need to find somebody who is okay with like uplifting their lives and and becoming a little bit nomadic with you. So I came back to the States, not only just for my son, but like to give myself an opportunity to date and maybe find somebody while I was out here that had similar interests and see if that would happen essentially. But it's one of those trade-offs. And so if you are looking to you know, get in a relationship, you need some form of stability um, a little bit, even if you cross paths with people, because what you find is like people cross paths with people, but they know it's temporary. So it's like, 
it's just like a fling for that moment. But then you find people who meet each other abroad and then it becomes something. So it's possible. I've seen it. I've heard it happen. Didn't happen to me, but I've heard it happen to, to people that I've known. So dating abroad now as a queer woman, nah. I asked Francis to share some insights on finding queer-friendly travel and expat locations. The first thing I would Google, like some of the most queer-friendly places, Taiwan is super queer-friendly, like probably the most queer-friendly place I've ever visited. And Thailand is super queer-friendly. So do a little bit of research of the countries that are queer-friendly that you would like to live in. You know, obviously Germany is one place and and start doing that research. You know, sometimes it's, it is a trade-off, right? I mean, Taiwan gets a little bit cold in the winter, so you may not have the luxuries of Thailand of being warm all year round. So figuring out what your lifestyle is and doing a little bit of research of where would be the some of the best places. There are queer travelers out there. So I would definitely, you know, hit them up, follow them on, on social media. And but there are some places you can you just can't do it. There is no utopia. It's all about the trade-offs. And what are you willing to trade up trade over, you know, to live a life that's comfortable for you, live a life that feels safe. But just research, reach out to folks. Uh, there are plenty of places to go. Japan is a little, eh, but Tokyo is very diverse, you know? So maybe you don't go into the rural parts of the town, but maybe you go to a big city like Tokyo who they're accustomed to some of that stuff. So we return back to here, Barcelona, and we have Chloe. And if you guys remember Chloe's episode, she talked about how she maintained an 11-year relationship being long distance. Yes, while she was all around the world and ay ay ay, she maintained a long distance relationship. And so I asked her to really talk a little bit about that, but also talk about dating here in Barcelona from her point of view. I was in a relationship for 11 years, very, very long time. I started dating this person when I was 19. If you asked me if long distance relationships work, I would tell you no, because every other long distance relationship that I've seen has not worked. It just worked for us and I see it as a fluke, to be honest. The main reason why it worked for us is because he didn't put any pressure on me and he allowed me to be me and do what I'm doing. Every year I had this contract and I would return home and get a new one. And I would always say to him, if this is not what you want, then we can end this. However, I'm not going to give up my dreams for you i love you but i'm not going to give up my dreams for you this is something that i want to do and he was supportive of that and then when i was in those countries there was no pressure in terms of we have to skype each other at seven o'clock every day and if you're not there it's going to cause an argument and why aren't you contacting me more why aren't you putting more effort we didn't have any of that it literally was, we'll talk when we can, which tended to be most days, 
but if we couldn't we couldn't and we understood he understood if i had if i was off out doing something i understood on his part we made efforts when we could speak to each other what i saw from other couples was that there was a lot of pressure on it and there were arguments caused because you didn't get on skype at seven o'clock when you said you would and what does that mean who are you with which ultimately led to all those relationships breaking down every like i said every other long distance relationship that i saw with people that i was traveling with or living with they didn't last and it just did for us and the only thing that i can attribute it to is because there was no pressure on it he always came to visit i definitely opened the scope for his travel because he was one of those people uh, who didn't really travel much through his childhood. And then when I got home, the idea was for us to, to come to Barcelona together. The issues arise was that what I realized is that ultimately he didn't want to leave the UK. He was very much attached to it and he hadn't really been honest with his feelings about leaving the UK. And I knew that I couldn't stay for him and be miserable. And there were many other issues as well, but that that was part of it. And ultimately, I think through through me traveling and doing various things and wanting certain things because of my travels, we became very different people. Really, I always say that the problems arised when we were actually living in the same country not when we weren't and then yeah i came to barcelona single and wow what a trip initially i was in no space to be dating i was getting over this very long-term relationship that had really defined me as an adult and i had to discover myself first because even though i had gone off and done all these things and lived my dreams I was still part of that unit and I didn't know myself as an individual. I only knew myself as part of that unit and I had to learn what it was for me to be an individual before I could even think about dating. And then once I started, you got to remember the last time I was single, I was 19. Internet the apps and everything, it wasn't a thing. Now everyone, and particularly in Barcelona, it's all about the apps and I cannot get my head around it at all. It feels so superficial. It feels like you're going shopping and it takes away that layer of getting to know someone before you write them off because like, I always say like my my ex I wasn't particularly attracted to him when we first met but I got to know him and that grew and these apps take away that opportunity and you could be missing out on someone really great because you're so superficially swiping away and I just honestly I'm still in a stage of trying to understand and navigate this landscape and trying to understand if it's even something I really want to be a part of because so far my experience of it has been 
negative. I'm not particularly open to it. I definitely prefer the old school way of just meeting someone and talking to them. Maybe I'm too old for it. I don't know. But it's it's not been easy because I've been very resistant to this app lifestyle for sure. And then there's the element of I've never dated outside my race. Am I open to it? I'm still trying to figure that out, to be honest. I want to try to be open to it and I want to attempt because I don't like to write things off without even trying. But I'm conflicted because I've always seen myself with a black man. I've always seen my kids as being black. I've always seen myself raising my kids within my culture and not having anything to conflict with that because I'm very proud of who I am culturally. My kids will definitely be proud of who they are culturally. And I don't know if I'm open enough to introduce another culture into that. Barcelona is not somewhere where there is an abundance of black men. There's hardly any, to be honest. Many, the ones that are here, tend to be in interracial relationships. So I'm trying to navigate that dilemma as well. Catalan guys as well don't have a great reputation. They have a reputation as being mommy's boys. And then, you know, there's the element of, are they open to interracial dating? Because a lot of the time on the apps, I get, um, not even on the apps, in person, I get, oh, you're very exotic. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, I can't, I can't date someone that, you know, treats me like a frigging ice cream, you know? Like, how am I exotic? I'm not a fruit. You know, I'm a person, a normal person of this world and you should be used to seeing people like me but for you it's a novelty and that in itself is an issue for me i haven't just heard this from black women i've heard this from women in general that dating in barcelona is terrible and the app culture is terrible and it it has made the the general opinion is that it has really converted men into betas that's going to be a controversial statement to say but I'm saying it because they no longer have the confidence to come up to you and talk to you. They'll look at you and then search for you on an app. Why wouldn't you come and just talk to, talk to me? Or they have an inflated level of self-confidence because they're behind a keyboard, behind a screen. And some of these men, the things that they're saying, you're like, I don't know if you're on a level to be acting this way. It's, it's created a very confused culture as far as I'm concerned. And I don't like it at all. I don't like it. I've had men actively like stare at me and then matched with me on the app. Because I've just like swiped them to see if they match with me. And they have. I haven't even bothered to continue with that conversation because I'm just like, you could have talked to me face to face and the fact that you didn't is problematic for me. And I have male friends that have said it themselves, like, oh, I saw this girl on the Metro and she was so amazing. So I checked later to see if I, ma I could match with her. 
but why didn't you just go up and say hi i don't get it it's just it's eliminated so much natural interaction these apps and it's really sad it's really really sad next we return to australia with itia and if you remember itia's episode you know, she was in the process of getting permanent residency. Now, I believe she is like maybe one step away from becoming a citizen in Australia. So amazing episode, really talking about residency, citizenship, but also how to get a job abroad as well. So if you haven't checked that one out, I highly recommend, of course, that you do. But I did ask Itia about her perspective on the dating scene in Australia. And here's what she said. The dating scene in Australia, and like I'll even say that I, I can't necessarily blanket statement Australia per se. I can only speak about Sydney in particular. And I'd say that I, I didn't think the dating scene was amazing at all. I think it's one of the the downfalls of Australia that I think is really unfortunate is the dynamic between men and women. I was used to courting um, in the States. I found men to be quite forward in, in their interest. And really into the point that you're just like, I'm not interested, please leave me alone. <laughs> but they weren't shy. Whereas here, I felt like men were practically asexual. Literally doubting, like, okay, am I not pretty enough? Am I not interesting enough? <laughs> What's going on? Are, are they interested at all? Do I need to be more forward? How do I need to navigate this? This just feels like a lot of hard work. There so it wasn't a courting scene. My take on <laughs> part of what's happening is that there's a lot of single sex schools so my impression is that there isn't this healthy relationship that happens between young people at a a young age in terms of how to interact um, with each other it was very much if you weren't in the same circle to begin with whether that be a friend circle or work circle or had some prior connection, then people were just a little less likely to come out of their shell and start new conversations. And that's whether it's friendship or romantic. In general, there was a lot more effort that had to be put into being like, hey, hey, you over there, I actually, you know, want to talk to you. I'm interested in you. You almost had to put a sign on your forehead. And that was new. I'd been posting on Facebook of how horrible of a time I was having on the dating scene. And, and I would say this is not just Australians that I was dating. It was foreigners that were living in Australia. But there's something about Sydney that was bringing this out of them, I feel like. But my boyfriend and I had become Facebook friends, used to mutual friends, kind of earlier um, in the year. And he had been seeing my trials and tribulations on the dating scene and occasionally would like something or, or comment on something. But we hadn't actually met in person yet. It was quite like later in the year that we met in person. And I just went over and, and, and thanked him for something he had helped me with earlier in the year and said, hey, it was nice to meet you in person. And then from there, we started talking some more and and then eventually started dating. But it was definitely a hard slog <laughs> in the beginning like, to the point that I was just like, I think I'm just going to become a lesbian. It's just easier. Like, I don't know. It's just the male dating scene. It was just not, it was not it at all. Next, we have Annabelle. And if you remember Annabelle's story, she is Jamaican and she's currently living in Japan as an architectural designer. In her episode, we really talked about her experience with the JET program, but also her going and getting her master's in Japan and having amazing projects all around Asia as well, and how to land a job in Japan at an architectural firm which, in my opinion, is not for the faint at heart 
at all. But I did ask her about her experience dating in Japan and she had some thoughts. There's a, a very shallow understanding of what blackness is, and uh, there's the oversexualization of black women, fetishization of black women. You'll have Japanese guys who they'll just want to try a black girl, I guess. You have guys who are into hip hop culture or dancehall culture, and they want to have a black girlfriend to just seal the deal and prove how black they are. I've seen a, a lot through just hanging out with other black women and just swapping stories and it's just so bizarre all the time for me my problem with dating in japan is that for me it's basically been non-existent i i find black women tend to be very educated and tend to really stand firmly in what they believe their thoughts their worldview they don't live passively at least the black women i've interacted with in japan Nepal. They're very sure of themselves. Their opinions are mature. They've, they've thought these things through. They've, they've evolved in their thinking. They have reasons for thinking the way they think and stuff. And um, I can only speak to my friends who have dated Japanese men or like the brief encounters I've had with Japanese men is like they don't like it in their own women and they don't like it in any other women either. The opinionated thing, it just turns them off. They just want you to be cute and funny and agreeable. Of course, this is not everyone. I, I would hope that goes without saying. I'm just, I'm speaking in a general, overwhelmingly regular, all the time kind of thing. It's just a pattern. Next, we have Jackie from the Jackie O Life. And Jackie's episode was just so empowering and so amazing she is a digital slow mad she is a single mom of a cute cute baby girl and she just really dropped so many gems in how to really take control of your life and to really steer it in the direction you want it to go again if you haven't listened to her episode you definitely want to but here are her thoughts on dating abroad the highs and the lows about dating abroad. Sometimes I do have a problem being, because you're different, right? And men typically are attracted to different, quote unquote, exotic things. And that can get, for me at least, a little annoying. I am an almost six foot tall black woman with dreads to the middle of my back. I can get a lot of attention, particularly male attention, and it doesn't matter whatever country I go to, be it like Vietnam, countries aren't particularly fond of dark skin, I still get a lot of attention. Be it healthy attention, be it not so healthy attention, I still get it. Dating can be interesting just because one, there's the language and there's the cultural distinction. One is the language. For for instance, for me, dating in Spanish is not necessarily difficult because my Spanish is fairly good. But yet many of the, the nuances to who I am are all in English, if that makes sense. I always feel like if I'm dating someone in the Spanish language, do they really get to know like the authentic, complete me? Because I feel like there's still, even though my Spanish is fairly good, there's still a part of me that is, I almost feel like boxed within the English language, if that makes sense. 
And then there are various cultural issues. When I think about the whole idea of masculinity and chivalry, particularly in Africa and South and Central America, men can be very, very chivalrous in ways that I never really experienced in the United States of America in the sense of opening doors, buying flowers. If you've ever dated Nigerian men, they are over the top in terms of gifts and writing love letters and all that stuff. For me, that can be a little bit too much. And I'm also a very independent woman. It's just navigating all of that. And just trying to figure that out. And then understanding that as a U.S. passport holder, that is something that is very desirable. Understanding that everybody who's trying to date you does not have the best intentions and be able to decipher through that. And some guys will go all out to like date the blue passport holder. And just having that in the back of your head as well before you go and fall head over heels for somebody and six months later you married to somebody you shouldn't have been. He got his papers and he went on with the next one. Immigration doesn't happen that quickly, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm just telling the story. But overall, like, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. Like particularly African men appreciating my blackness and my boldness. I would say in many ways, there is so much that I see in African Americans that they don't even realize is like hella African. I look at most black women, I'm like, oh yeah, you got some Yoruba blood in you. Definitely the stuff that you refuse to tolerate that comes back to your Africanness. And I think particularly African men, they just appreciate that. And I also feel like African men of the diaspora, so all over the world. And that's the amazing thing when you can date melanated people from all over the world. Next, we have Kelly from Burn Bright. And her episode was all about how to take your career in social work abroad to Italy and to England, and also about the symptoms of burnout and how to resolve it. Something that I think as black women, uh, we just have not been educated enough in. I know I hadn't realized I was burned out until many, many years until I actually got that language. And we actually continued that conversation on Instagram. And so there's an Instagram live that we did a couple of weeks ago. So if you haven't watched that, I highly recommend it because not only do we talk about her experiences in London and Italy. We talked about dating, but we also talked about softness. Yeah. And how living abroad for her and actually a lot of the people in the audience had the same experience is that living abroad had brought some softness into their life. And that was such a beautiful exchange. And I think it's really interesting to frame softness in the context of dating as well. I think it's definitely in alignment with living a life well lived and all the possibilities to really be completely expressed. Um, And that includes softness in any way that resonates with you. I say all that to say, I asked Kelly, what was dating in England and Italy like for her? Lovely. A lot easier than it was in the States. I found European men much more respectful and much more communicative. European men, to me, understood the concept of needing to talk before expecting anything in return. Yeah, it's normal to want to get coffee, to talk on the phone, to 
expect a level of socialization before an expectation of anything more. And in America, that's not always the case. Or it's, well, we texted a couple of times, so <laughs> shouldn't there be more? I'm somebody who craves true connection with people. That's just who I am. I, I need to know you. I need to talk about really deep things. And I would go to a pub and I would have that conversation just randomly with anybody, frankly, like not even in a dating situation, but in a dating situation, that was like an expectation. Well, yeah, like let's have a conversation about what's going on or what you think about this or what's your story? Where are you from? What was your life like in America? Or what's this about? For me, that made dating a joy. And I loved every second of it. I loved that piece of getting to know someone and having them get to know me and not feeling pressure in any way. I really enjoyed that. I just found it much more social, much more enjoyable. I found that people actually really dated, which was kind of nice. I feel like our culture has lost that. There is an art to dating. And I, I feel like Americans are losing that to a degree that we don't really date anymore. And I found that was a lot easier to do in England. Dating in Italy was weird. <laughs> it was it was weird. Northern Italian was like really weird. Not, not a particularly amazing experience for me with Northern Italian men. Southern Italian was better. And then a lot of times I just, I ended up dating other European men just because for Northern Italian men, all the things I mentioned about what my experience was of them and they're in a, the weirdness of interacting with women who are single and then black women who are single. It was just weird. Like it was really hard to kind of make small talk with them because it wasn't a small talk culture for Northern Italian men. Southern Italian were much more friendly, much more outgoing, much more like, how are you? And, and, and much more forthright and like joking and jovial and much more lighter. I found some of the Northern Italian men a little too serious, but again, that was my experience. I don't want to, broad brushstroke. Some people found great experiences with them, not particularly me. I found Southern Italian men much more fun and engaging. Like the Florentine men and, and further down were lovely. Like the men from Florence and further down were, were fine. But as a whole, I really didn't have a lot of great dating experiences with Italian men in general. I mostly ended up dating men who are from other countries in Italy. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you are like, I need more, I need more about this, let me know. Because I actually was thinking that maybe it'd be helpful if I had a YouTube live. Maybe I had like, like a round table discussion about dating abroad. Maybe I can get some of the ladies that are featured here and we can talk about dating abroad. Tell me if that would be interesting to you. Email me, drop in some comments. As always, please consider supporting the podcast via Patreon at patreon.com slash flourish not foreign. Cash out the podcast dollar sign flourish foreign. And if you want to contribute to the upgrade of the podcast equipment, you can do so via our Amazon wish list, which you can find at www.flourishintheforeign.com slash support. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to this podcast, and follow the podcast on Instagram at Flourish Foreign. 
Yes. If you have not left a review of the podcast, go ahead and do that too. Appreciate you. And of course, share the podcast far and wide. If you want to join in the chat I'm having on Saturday, be sure to be plugged into the email newsletter so I can send you the information and check out the links in the social media bio as well. Do that. Check out my clubhouse chat with Aquania Escarnet this Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Make sure you're following me on Clubhouse at Christine Job. That's at C H R I S T I N E J O B. And if you are ready to go abroad and you just don't know where to start, I highly suggest joining me in my five week course, Flourish in the Foreign International Living Made Possible. We're really going to talk about intentionality. And by the end of the course, you're going to have not only a vision, and a dream, but you're going to have a plan, okay? And you're going to have next steps for either getting a job abroad, if that's what you want to do, or starting to really sketch out and really start going after creating a business to take you abroad as well. And it's cool because you'll be chatting with me every single week. It'll be very intimate and it'll be really fun. And I'm really looking forward to it. So if you're interested in that, get at me. And of course, if you think you're ready you know, to really take your business, either scale your business or to develop a business that will take you abroad, that will have you professionally fulfilled, financially abundant, and you're interested in my intense, but, you know, gets the job done. 12-week sprint. It's a sprint which helps you get clear, confident, but also actually get a sale. That is what the 12-week sprint is all about. It's about developing, implementing, and iterating a viable and sustainable online business. So if you're really trying to go abroad this year, and you're really trying to have a business, I think you should probably get at me. That's all I'm saying. But you know, that's, that's just me. All right. And of course, thanks to Zachary Higgs, who produced the music of this here podcast. If you are looking for someone to produce music for your next project, I highly suggest contacting Zach. He is really fantastic and I highly recommend. All right. That is it for this week. Take care of yourself in the midst of insanity. And in that care, Please take time to truly vision what you want for yourself in this lifetime. Be bold and be brave enough to command it, to demand it, and then go after it. Until next time, go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. Bye! On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. The thing is, in, in Africa, people speak so many languages because <laughs> we want to speak with everybody. So, and if I go to, to Gabon, I will speak French. And then in, in Gabon, they have like nine different provinces. And then each of these provinces have their own language. And then French is, is the national language, you know? So you speak French, and then if you go to Equatorial Guinea, you have the, the boobies, you have the, the fang. They also have their own language, the dialect. 
plus that we speak Spanish. Spanish in Equatorial Guinea is the national language, but each uh, province have their own language. So in Africa, people speak different language, you know, and you don't need to go, you, didn't, you don't need to go to school to learn them because you just communicate with the people around you and you pick up a bit of this.